All right, Romans 13 is where we'll be. Turn to Romans 13 with me, please. We'll get started here. Looking Technically, we're just looking at three verses today. But actually, we're looking at a whole bunch of verses today. So, Romans 13, verses 8 to 10 is what we're seeking to cover. And let's uh, look at this together. I'll read it and then I'll open with a word of prayer. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this text in front of us today, your holy text. Use it to teach us, instruct us, guide us, direct us today as we consider it is how you would have us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul is going beyond our obligation to civil authority in his instruction to us in the book of Romans. Yeah, but first, uh, first, before we get into the breakdown of verses 8 through 10, we actually need to jump ahead, which is not really our custom to jump ahead, but I think you'll see why. Look at verse 11 with me. Romans 13, verse 11. It says, Do this, knowing the time, that it is always or that is already, rather, the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So, I'm showing you this passage because of the first two words of verse 11. It says, do this. Paul is saying this instruction that he's giving up to this point in in chapter 13, especially verses 8 through 10, we are to live that way, we are to do this because we know the time that it's already the hour for us to awaken from sleep. That means we are to live in light of our final salvation. God has woken you up. It's not the time to sleep. God has woken you up. So you are to spiritually be alert. How are you to go about loving? How are you to go about submitting to government? Alertly. Is that an adverb, Joe? Alertly? I have no idea. Okay, all right. Well, it is today. You are to, to do this alertly. Okay, we are closer to Jesus' return today than we were yesterday, right? That's a good thing, and we are to live in light of that final salvation that will be given to us at the return of Jesus Christ as we await the appearing of our salvation. So we're to live in light of that reality. That's our general approach to life as Christians. Big, broad brush strokes here. We are to live in light of the reality of Jesus' return, Okay? That's all I wanted to say about verses 11 to 14. I just wanted to show that to you, that that's our motivation for obeying what Paul says in verses 8 through 10. 
Well, uh, there's a whole bunch to consider in verses 8 through 10. We're going to look at a whole bunch of things. But here's the overarching theme, that if we can all agree on this, I think we're going to be doing well, okay? The Christian life is about showing God's love. that feel okay to you, that statement? <laughs> the Christian life is about showing God's love. That's good, isn't it? And we can just stop right there and say, that's what verses 8 through 10 is about, and we all move on. Well, we're going to get a little more technical than that, because Paul speaks of the law. You see that in verse 8, you see that in verse 10, he mentions the word law. And I want us to try to wrestle with today the place of law in Christian living. And that's a very difficult subject, understanding the place of law in Christian living. And I want to start by sharing with you four main views within evangelicalism about the law of Moses. So as we consider God's law, the law that was revealed in the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Bible, there are four main views within Christianity about the law of Moses. The first view is that uh, some who say the law of Moses governs and guides us just like it did for Israel. That's the first view. That the law of Moses governs and guides us just like it did for Israel. Now, there's probably some thoughts you have in response to that. You should have some thoughts in response to that. But let me give you the second one. As we move away from that view, some say that certain parts of the law of Moses still govern and guide us. Certain parts, not the whole law of Moses, but certain parts of the law of Moses still govern and guide us. Third view, some say that certain parts of the law of Moses only guide us, but don't govern us. Certain parts of the law of Moses only guide us, but do not govern us. So we're getting a little bit nuanced here, aren't we? And the fourth view, some say that no part of the law of Moses has any bearing over Christians. No part of the law of Moses has any bearing over Christians. So those are your four main views, if you can imagine it, like a spectrum in your head. And of course, there's all sort of nuanced positions all throughout each one of those views, but those are the four main landmarks on the spectrum. The place of the law of Moses in the Christian life. Now, none of these views include a view that's called antinomianism. Antinomianism is a view that, well, the word literally means against law. None of these views that I'm presenting to you do I, do I say has a position of being anti-law or anti-morality. Antinomianism basically says uh, live however you want. Have no regard for moral actions whatsoever. Well, none of these views are speaking to that kind of thinking. Okay? The, each one of these views is apart from that. All four of these views agree on we are to have love for the law. The psalmist says, oh Lord, how I love your law. All four of these views would agree that the law provides for the Christian at least an example of God's holiness, of God's righteousness, that there's something exemplary to see in the law. All four of these views would agree on the profitableness of the law, that it is God's word. As we look at it, it's not like we're looking at something that's not God's word. It's still God-breathed. It's still inspired. All, but these four views have different takes on what is the Christian's relationship to the law. 
So we're not making a qualifying statement about the law itself. Every, every view would say the law is holy and just and good. But it's what is the Christian's relationship to the law of Moses. And this has been a very big theme through the book of Romans. The book of Romans mentions the word law a whole bunch of times. The word law comes up over and over again in the book of Romans. And I want us to go through some of these. I've given you the passages, I think, on your sheet. So let's all turn with me together to Romans 2. And we're just going to walk through these and share some thoughts that these aren't the only passages that mention law. But these are some of the major passages that mention law in the book of Romans. So Romans 2, and we're going to start at verse 12. Now there's a note that I want to make for you. If you are using the New American Standard Bible, the Bible we preach from here at this church, the translators of the New American Standard Bible have used a capital L for law when they believe Paul or whoever the biblical writer is, is referencing the law of Moses. Not every time the word law comes up in the Bible does it mean law of Moses. But if you see a capital L, that tells you that the translators of the, your Bible believe he's speaking of the law of Moses. In the original manuscripts, there was not a designation like that. Jerry. Well, in 13, verse 8, whoever loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. We're coming back to that. Because you're noticing that the the is in italics, meaning it's not in the original. We're coming back to that. Okay. All right, well, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Would someone read those five verses, 12 to 16? 2, 12 to 16. Who's got I, it? I got it. Okay, go ahead. Uh, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, for the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Okay. You see the word law pops up a few times in that passage, don't you? Five verses, and I don't know how many times it comes up, but several. Several. Well, here in this passage, we're seeing two kinds of revealed law. Can you tell me what those two types of law are that are being discussed in these verses? Two types of revealed law. What are they? Law of Moses. Okay, you got the easy one. Good yeah. job, Andy. The law of Moses. So you see, uh, just in verse 12, all who have sinned without the law, and he just got done speaking to uh, some issues regarding uh, sin in the world. He's talking about Gentiles, and he's going into a passage here where he's going to speak specifically to Jews. And it's quite clear that he's speaking about the law of Moses in verse 12. That the capital L law, as the New American Standard gives it a capital L, this is speaking to the law of Moses. That seems quite clear. But what's the other? Normal law. Hmm? You say normal? Like, every, like government law. Okay. He's, Walker says government law. Not quite, but close. They're Natural related. Law. Okay. What does that mean? Natural law. What is that? It's what we're born with. The conscience. Very good. The conscience. The conscience. So he's talking about those who are without the law. They are still a law to themselves. You see that at the end of verse 14? 
Those who weren't given the law of Moses, they still have rules. How does that happen? God didn't give them rules. You know, someone who was born in Ethiopia instead of Israel, he wasn't given the law of Moses, but he still has rules. Well, where does that come from? You see, it says in verse 15, they're showing the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So there's this aspect of conscience going on where something is revealed in them, something is impressed on their conscience about right and wrong. Now, we can't go into great detail about what that is, but we can understand some basic things, can't we? You've probably known, even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you didn't grow up in a religious home, you've known you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't murder, those sorts of things. It's wrong to lie. There is some sort of aspect where you have a conscience, where you're convicted at some level about right and wrong. But again, we can't go into great detail about that. But what we can do is agree with the Scripture here that it's still enough for us to recognize we're guilty. As we've been given a conscience, though we may not have acknowledged that it came from God, we may not have acknowledged that it aligned with parts of His revealed law to Israel, this natural law impressed on our hearts is enough to condemn people knowing that they're not perfect, that they've sinned, that they've done wrong, that they've gone against what they know is right to some degree. And so this is an aspect of general revelation. Just like creation exists, declaring the glory of God, so people have a conscience. And in that aspect of general revelation, it's enough for them to be condemned before God. But you, of course, have to have special revelation to know how to get, a, get out of that condemnation. Now you'll notice, I want to clarify one thought here. In verse 13, Paul says, It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Was Paul declaring that it was through works of the law that people were to gain innocence and eternal life? No. That was never the stated purpose of the law given to Israel. That was never the purpose of the law. Paul here is saying that this is how your innocence, true innocence, is revealed. Someone who keeps perfectly the law from the moment they're born. And that's nobody. (laughs) That's nobody. That is nobody. So you can't be born into sin and you can't be going about your life sinning against what is right, transgressing God's eternal morality, and then conform yourself to a law and then gain innocence or justification from it. You can't. You can't ever make up those transgressions. Jerry. Born and kept the law. I don't know if Jesus enters into that because you said born into sin to keep the law. Certainly it's impossible. Yes. It, the only way it's possible to be born in this world and keep the law is if you're Jesus Christ. There you go. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. Paul here is now talking about how we are justified. It's not by works of the law. We're justified by faith. We are justified by faith. So someone please read Romans 3, 27 to 31. 
Was that was there a typo? Well, I trust you're mature enough to handle that, Jerry. <laughs> Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. For is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Another fascinating passage about law in the Christian life. You see that a law of faith is introduced here. A law of faith in verse 27. This is different from the law of Moses. It's a law of faith. It's something different. And it excludes boasting. Because it's separate from the works of the law of Moses. There's a law of faith where you are not trusting in works performed under the law of Moses. But instead, you're appealing to one outside of yourself. In this case, of course, it's Jesus Christ. You're appealing to his righteousness. And so the law of faith excludes works of the law. And what's very interesting, that last verse, verse 31... Through this, we establish the law. Not by works of the law, but by faith, we establish the law. Isn't that cool? How do we establish the law as this new covenant community of Christians? Not by works. We establish the law by our law of faith, appealing to what Jesus Christ has done. The law is established among us. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Can it also be because by, by the law of faith just establishes the law because of, its, of the necessity of faith? It establishes the fact that that law is, exists and real and we need to have a response to that. Okay. Could be. Yeah, that could be. We need to have a discussion over okay. coffee and water and whatever else to, to explore that, but yeah. You're basically saying the law is righteous. Yes, holy and just and good. That's right. If you, if you can be perfect, good. Yeah, yeah. But you can't. You can't. So we appeal to a law of faith. We don't appeal to our works, right? Can you agree with that, Christians? I hope so, because if not, you're not a Christian. You appeal to faith, not to works. And by doing that, the law is established. That's pretty interesting. But just because we can't live up to the law doesn't mean the law is not justified. It's not good. Sure. Paul spends plenty of time talking about that. The law is good. It's not unjust. It's just. Yes. You just can't live up to it. Yes. And so we appeal to a law of faith, and that establishes the law. Okay, Romans 7. Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. 
Someone read Romans 7, 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you only have died. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now Paul is getting even stronger in his language about the law, the law of Moses. You have died to the law of Moses. That's pretty strong. And notice here that it says that we produce fruit, but producing that fruit doesn't come by living for the law. Producing fruit in the Christian life doesn't come by living for the law. It says that we, we died to the law in order that we might bear fruit for God. We've died to the law through the body of Christ so that we can be joined to Christ, to Him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. This is a new service. The Christian life, because of the coming of Christ and His finished work, has now opened up the door to this new covenant community, the church, allowing us to serve in a new way, not in the oldness of the letter, which is the law. We serve in a new way, which is by the Spirit appealing to Jesus Christ. See that in the text? I hope you see it. We die to the law and we're joined to Christ. Okay, verses 7 to 13. Someone read those, please. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me covenant of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become the cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. The law of Moses came to expose sin. It also came to, <laughs> through it, that sin might take advantage through the law, and actually that sin might increase. Paul says this in the book of Galatians, Galatians 5.20. The law came in that sin might increase. Now, that's pretty interesting. 
But we see that death took advantage through the law, didn't it? Death and sin took advantage through the law, that the existence of the law of Moses was there, that through it, sin might come into our lives and kill us. That death might take advantage through the law. Now, there is that interesting phrase, verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. What does Paul mean by that? I actually uh, went back and uh, listened to Mark's lesson on that from last year. I would refer you to that lesson. He did a great job walking through the four main views of that, <laughs> of that verse. That's a kind of a confusing verse. What could Paul mean? I was once alive apart from the law. Well, you can check that out. We've got our whole backlog of all these Romans classes. And check out uh, Mark's lesson on that if you want to learn more. But for our purposes today, we can just say quite plainly, the law of Moses came to expose sin. And it worked. The law came that sin might increase and death through sin might take advantage through the law and kill us. That's why the law of Moses was given. And it worked. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Someone want to grab those eight verses for us? Romans 8, 1 to 8. Okay. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, look at verse 4 with me. Go back up to verse 4. The requirement of the law of Moses is fulfilled in us. And how is it fulfilled in us? Apart from the works of the law. Remember earlier in chapter 3, we, we, we established the law. The law is established in us, apart from works of the law. The requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, apart from works of the law. Isn't this fascinating? We've been set free from the law, Paul is saying, over and over and over again. The law, verse, uh, verse 3, or maybe it's verse 2. Boy, these verse numbers can get real tiny, can't they? Here, they, here it is, verse 3. What the law of Moses could not do. There's, there's something the law of Moses could not do. What is it? Make us holy. Ah! Say that again. It cannot make us holy. You guys hearing that? <laughs> the law of Moses cannot make us holy. It's weak. Look at it. Verse 3. Weak as it was through the flesh. Well, God did. And he did it apart from the law of Moses in a sense. Now, it was very much through the law of Moses in another sense. By Jesus coming, living out the law of Moses perfectly, never transgressing it, upholding its positive commands, and he took on the curse that comes through the law of Moses. He did all that in accordance with the law of Moses 
so that it might be fulfilled in you, Christian, apart from the law of Moses, apart from your works. Because the law can't make you holy. Your efforts in the law can't make you holy. It can't do it. The law can't do it. All right, one more. Verse 10, or chapter 10. One more passage in Romans. Romans 10, 1 through 4. Someone want to read those four verses for us? Romans 10, 1 to 4. Okay, go ahead. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. <clears throat> for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Culmination, that's interesting. The culmination of the law. Most translations say end or goal in verse 4. But look at Romans 10, 4. Everybody look at verse 4. Behold it, absorb it. Christ is the end of looking to the law of Moses for our righteousness. Christ is the end of looking to our own works for our righteousness. Christ is the end of that. You want to know if you're righteous? You want to know if you're holy? Don't look to your works. Look to Jesus Christ. Subsequently, don't look to the law. Look to Jesus Christ. Interestingly, not just in Romans, but in any of his letters, Paul never points to the law of Moses as the Christian's guide in righteousness. Paul not one time points to the law of Moses and says, that's your guide, Christian, for growing in holiness. But instead, he uses very strong language that says, you died to it so that you could be joined to another, Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to pause right there and see if you guys have any thoughts or questions before we branch outside of Romans for a minute. Andy. So, I think that... Um, there is an error that uh, Christianity, at least in the United States, promotes. That is that God loves you and God wants to... Uh, he's just a God of love, right? Which is where the idea of Christ's propitiation on the cross gets lost. Jesus satisfied the requirements of the law, satisfied on that cross. That's that's the the key that and not and even stronger than satisfied. We'll look at it in a moment. But yeah. yes, I agree with that. But even yeah. stronger than that. Yeah, that's just. Yeah, no, it's good. That's good. Other thoughts or questions? Summer. Um, I just like because I'm new to this. <laughs> yeah. I was one that was in the law. I just like where it said, that you belong to Jesus. Amen. Instead of belonging to law to us, to belong to the law, not me. Because what is the law continually doing? Saying, not, you're not good enough. It's not enough. Isn't it freeing? Say, you're not under the law, but you've been made righteous in Jesus Christ apart from your works. And the law is harsh. Yeah, it is. It is demanding. Because it's perfectly righteous. Holy, righteous, and good. Okay, well, elsewhere in the New Testament, 
we see more talk about the law. I need a Galatians reader and a James reader. There are going to be several passages in each, and I'll let you know as we go to them. Who's going to be the Galatians reader? Raise your hand. Andy. Who's going to be the James reader? Who wants to read James? Mandy. Very good. So you guys can, everyone else, you can figure out where you want to go and how you want to follow along. We're going to be going kind of back and forth a little bit. But the first thing I want to see, and this is both from Galatians and James, the first thing I want you to see is that the law of Moses is a single unit. Hear this. Hear ye, hear ye. The law of Moses is a single unit. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the law divided up. So, Andy, if you would read Galatians 5, 2, and 3, and then Mandy after him, James 2, 10. I want you to hear the law of Moses being a single unit. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Okay, if you say you're under law, you're under obligation to keep the whole thing. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. All right. You slip up in one area, one command. You're guilty of how much? The whole thing. Okay, so that's the first takeaway. There are six, six items I want us to see about the law elsewhere in the New Testament. That's number one. The law of Moses is a single unit. Scripture doesn't divide it. All right, second thing I want us to see, this is all from the book of James, so starting in James 1.25, Mandy. The, I want us to see that the perfect law of liberty is the guide for the Christian and the judgment for the Christian. The perfect law of liberty is the guide and the judgment for the Christian. James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearers, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be released in his doing. Oh, excuse me, blessed in his doing. Okay, so we are to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. That's an interesting phrase. Now also 2.8, Mandy, James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Hey, we hear now the phrase, the royal law. And it's interesting that he's pulling from, of course, Jesus' teaching, his half-brother. You shall love your neighbor as, as yourself. The law is summed up, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul also uses that in our passage today, in Romans 13. And he uses it in Galatians 5. That verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here James is calling that the royal law, the kingly law, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then one more, maybe, James 2.12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty. There's our phrase again. The same phrase from 125, James 125. Christians are to look into the law of liberty. Christians are to understand they will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think we're going to be judged by the law of Moses at the end of our lives. Where that, that would be a bad, scary judgment, wouldn't it? <laughs> Put all your works up against the law of Moses. How are you going to do on judgment day? <laughs> now, if, you, you know, if you're in Christ and you recognize Christ, Christ has satisfied the demands of the law on your behalf, now that's good news, and you appeal to Christ. And I believe James is saying we've been given this new instruction to live as those under the law of liberty. Not like Israel being guided and governed by the law of Moses. 
or to be guided by the law of liberty. There's some more, though. That was number two. There are six. Third thing. In order to live to God, we must die to the law of Moses. In order to live to God, we have to die to the law of Moses. These are both from Galatians. First is Galatians 2.19, Andy. In order to live to God, we have to die to the law of Moses. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. What is the purpose of dying to the law? We die to the law so that... That's purpose. That denotes purpose. So that we might live to God. And then Galatians 3, 21 to 25. These five verses, Paul expands on this idea in the very next chapter. That we have to die to the law of Moses to live to God. Galatians 3, 21 to 25. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Verse 25, that's another strong verse. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. The law's purpose, verse 24, was to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith, not by our works. And now that we have come to Christ and we're justified by faith, you're no longer under the law. I mean, that's a phrase that comes over, up over and over again in the New Testament. You're not under law, but you're under grace. Okay, so in order to live to God, we must die to the law of Moses. And then the fourth thing, uh, this isn't from Galatians or James, so I'm going to read this one. The law of Moses, we see, has no function in the new covenant that Paul describes. He gets pretty strong in his language here. I'll read first Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15. Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15. He's talking about joining the two groups into one man, Jew and Gentile. It says that Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.14, He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What did He break down? It says, by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that He Himself, or so that in Himself, rather, He might make the two into one new man, Establishing peace. He abolished in his flesh the enmity which is the law. The, law, the commandments contained in ordinances. That's pretty strong language from Paul, wouldn't you say? About the law? Right. Abolished. And then in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14, it says, For he rescued us, no, wait, that's chapter 1. That's a great passage. That's different. Colossians 2, 13. See, it even happens to preachers sometimes. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." 
Does someone here have a King James or New King James? In verse 14, what does it say? Instead, it says, canceled out the certificate of debt in the New American Standard. What does yours say? Uh, 14. Yeah, canceled out what? Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances in the King James? King James, yeah. And you've got New King James, Jim? You want to check out Colossians 2.14? Uh, King James had blotted out the handwriting of ordinances. And Colossians 2.14 in the New King James says, drum roll. <laughs> Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, okay. which was contrary to license. The handwriting of requirements. requirements. Okay, so yeah, in the Greek, those are actually more literal translations. The certificate of debt actually isn't word for word what it's saying. I think it's a very fair translation. But where does that certificate of debt come from? The law. And it says that it's been canceled out, blotted out, wiped out, whatever phrase you want to use. It's been wiped out, canceled, blotted. Again, some pretty strong language. Fifth thing I want you to hear about the law from the New Testament is that the law of Christ exists as a guide for the Christian. The law of Christ. Not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ. It exists as a guide for the Christian. Andy, can you grab Galatians 6.2? Yep. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We are pointed to not fulfilling the law of Moses because Romans and other passages have made, they've made clear the law is fulfilled in us. It's been established. But we're pointed to fulfill the law of Christ. You also see this in 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9.21. You can just write that down as a reference if you're taking note. Paul refers to the law of Christ. Okay, pretty interesting. But even though we're not under the law of Moses, we still do have commandments, don't we? And we see those in the law of Christ. We see those presented quite plainly to us in 1 John. This is 1 John 3, 18 to 24. I'll read this for us. John says, Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So we've been talking about not being under law, not looking to our own works over and over again, and now it says commandments. So that may make you wonder, well, what are these commandments then? Thankfully, He tells us in the next verse, okay? 1 John 3.23, this is His commandment. All right, listen up. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given. This is His commandment. You believe in Him and you love one another. I like that. That was 1 John 3.23. All right. So that's the, the new instruction for the Christian 
To believe in the one he has sent and to love one another. Remember when Jesus, John 13, was teaching the disciples to love one another? He said, a really, really old commandment I give you. He said, a new commandment I give you. Which is interesting because love, love your neighbor, that is in the law. That's an old commandment, isn't it? But it's a new commandment. We're to follow Christ's example in loving one another. We're to embrace the love of Christ, the incarnate one. The, the Son of God who came to us and exemplified love perfectly, we are to believe in Him, to look to Him, to love one another. And all sins violate that, don't they? One of those two? If you sin, can you sin any sin while believing truly in the name of the Son of God and loving one another? Now, in one sense, sure, because that's our general approach to life. But in the other sense... While you're committing sin, while you're rebelling against God, you're pushing back against this command of Christ to believe in Him and to love one another. You're rebelling against the new commandment. You're rebelling against what we're instructed to do. You're rebelling against the law of Christ. You're not fulfilling the law of Christ. Okay? That's just a whole bunch of Bible I just gave you there. And now we have about 15 minutes to finish out Romans 13, 8 to 10. But I think if we have all that in our head, you can at least see where I'm coming from in this teaching. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. We can have those conversations, or not, whatever you want. But I just want you to see where I'm coming from. So going back to Romans 13, 8 to 10, all that we are to owe to anyone is love. Verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Previously, Paul was speaking to our submission to the state's authority, and now he's speaking to our relationship to our neighbor. And who is your neighbor, by the way? Just so we're clear. If you can see him, if they're around you. Yeah. Yeah. Or even in our, our, our digital age, you don't have to see him. If you can see their names on your screen, <laughs> those are your neighbors. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And I think this has particular emphasis in the church, but I, I think it's broader than that, too. We see in verse 9, he brings up the idea of neighbor. Now, when he says, owe nothing to anyone, he doesn't mean it's sinful to have a mortgage. Okay? That's not what he's saying. Now, we do have a responsibility as Christians. Don't borrow more than you could pay back, and don't borrow maliciously. Don't take from somebody with the intention of taking and that's it and never paying back. Don't get so far in over your head that you're not able to pay back. That's not loving your neighbor, is it? That's not representing the love of Christ, is it? Okay, so don't take this so far where you say, boy, I've been living in sin because I've been making monthly payments to the mortgage company. Don't do that. But also, don't go so far the other way and say, well, we have no responsibility to the people who lend to us. You do have a responsibility. And so in that sense, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. It's wrong to incur debt that you can't repay. But here's the teaching that you shouldn't miss. Love is a debt that you cannot repay. And that's what you're to be going about in your life. You are indebted to love. And you can never fill that up. You can't love enough in your life and say, paid it back, done. You don't have the Dave Ramsey out of debt cheer when you've loved people enough. All right? You can't get there in life. 
There's, a, there's just an infinite debt that you have to love one another, and that is your view as a Christian. That's your view is to love over and over and over and over again. So apply that to your neighbor. Don't wrong your neighbor. Don't dishonor your neighbor. Don't take your neighbor's spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't murder your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. These are the commandments that are there in verse 9. You see that? And Paul's quoting these commandments. They're from the Ten Commandments. Because all of these, and if there's any other, it's summed up in this. Love. Love your neighbor. So pursue love. Love is our focus. Nothing else is our focus in the Christian life but to love. That's our focus. Joe. I also think you shouldn't wrong anybody more than you can lose because then it causes a problem. Yeah, the flip side of that coin, you need to be a wise lender, right? Yeah, that's another lesson for another day, but just as important. Yeah, be wise, be shrewd. So Paul is saying these commands are all summed up, even if there's any other, it's all summed up in love your neighbor. So now let's answer two questions to finish this out. The first question is, if we are loving our neighbor, well, we are fulfilling what now? <laughs> Look at verse 8. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled law. That's how it reads in the original text. Well, what law is that? What law is being spoken of here? As Jerry started to point out earlier, there is no the in the original. If you're using the New American Standard, you see the is in italics. Anytime a word is in italics, that means it's been inserted for the English translation to read better, to read easier. So they've inserted the. And that has led some people to say, well, he couldn't be speaking about the law of Moses because he would say the law. So he must be speaking of Roman law. That's one option. Paul is speaking of the laws of Rome, where the citizens of this church were, were living. They were under Roman law. And so Roman law is summed up in love your neighbor. Some people say that this law that's being fulfilled is that law of faith that we read about all the way back in chapter 3. Paul says we're not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of faith. Or in James, the law of liberty, and Galatians and 1 Corinthians, the law of Christ. Does he have that in view? Well, I don't think he's speaking to any of those. Uh, some would say, actually, that he's hearkening back to chapter 12, where he's talking about uh, just general love in life, or particularly love in the church, when you have all these quick-hit commands of loving. I don't really think that's the case either. I don't think that's a law that's been given. I think it's more likely, but I'm not dying on this hill. I think it's more likely he is talking about the law of Moses. In verse 9, he quotes the law of Moses. <laughs> I think that's significant. I think he's saying that the law of Moses is fulfilled as Christ is in us, the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf, and he's loving through us. I think the law is defined by verse 9. He's speaking to the law of Moses being fulfilled through us. But then the question arises, well, how are we fulfilling it? Because we've already said multiple times here, we don't fulfill the law of Moses by doing works of the law of Moses. So what is he saying? How are we actually fulfilling it? We don't fulfill the law by minding the laws. I want you to notice in verse 9, 
After Paul quotes, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, he says, and if there is any other commandment, if we were governed by the law of Moses as Israel was, would we have the freedom to say, yeah, whatever other commandments are out there? (laughs) No, if we were governed by the law of Moses as Israel was, you better pay really close attention to every single one of those. That's why many of them memorized the law. And memorize all those commands that were given to Israel because they were under the law. They were governed by the law. Well, we're not governed by the law. We have the freedom to say if there's any other commandment. That's that's a freedom that we have. Kenneth Boa said this. I don't have it for the screen. But commenting on this passage, he says, There's a certain paradox in Paul's words. In order to get out of debt to the law, we have to get into debt of love. We fulfill the law when we love. The difference is a liberating one. Instead of focusing on what we could never do, which is perfectly meet the demands of the law, we need to focus, we're free to focus, on what we can always do. Love one another. That is freeing, isn't it? Instead of focusing on the law of Moses and your works conforming to the law of Moses, which you could never do, you are free to focus on what you can do to love one another. If we've died to the law of Moses in order to live to God, we have a different relationship with the law of Moses. That means we are not under the Ten Commandments. We are free to live under the law of Christ. We're free to fulfill the law of Christ, to seek to fulfill the law of Christ. We're not governed by the law of Moses as Israel was. And consequently, our job isn't to hunt through all the commands given to Israel, try to make some sort of determination about what continues and applies to us today, which is impossible, and then try to conform our works to that law. That's not our job as the church. That's not your job. But this doesn't mean that moral and ethical considerations are avoided either. That doesn't mean, again, going back to what I said earlier, this doesn't mean that we're all antinomian, we're all licentious. Do whatever you want. Eat, drink, tomorrow we die. We're not under a law. (laughs) Well, you actually are, are governed by the law of Christ, aren't you? You are free to focus on Jesus. You're free to focus on the one who is the perfect example of love and to employ that love in your life. And he gives you the power to do it. By His Spirit, He empowers your actions that you can love one another. This is the new commandment He's given to you, Christian. To love one another, and you are able to do it because of His work in you. And at the same time, our commission isn't fulfill the the law of Moses. Our commission is to love one another in which all those commands are fulfilled. Douglas Moo says... The law under which Christians live is continuous with the Mosaic law in that God's eternal moral norms will never change. Isn't that true? We're not being told by God, lying's great now. Go deceive everybody. In fact, you see over and over again in the epistles that were written to the churches, commands repeated from the Old Testament. There's a continuation of morality into the New Testament, isn't there? And we're to heed those commands. So he's saying those eternal moral norms, they never change. They're clearly expressed in both. But listen to what he says. 
But there is discontinuity in the fact that Christians live under the law of Christ and not under the Mosaic law. Our source for determining God's eternal moral law is Christ and the apostles, not the Mosaic law or even the Ten Commandments. I think that's critical. Our source for determining what morality we're under is Christ and the apostles, not the Mosaic law or even the Ten Commandments. How many of you observed the Sabbath day yesterday? (laughs) So I think we're all living this already. But it's important that you hear this. You're freed from the works of the law to live for Christ. We fulfill, we establish the capital L law as Christ through us brings about love for God and love for neighbor. It's established among us as we look to follow his example. That leaves just a couple minutes for questions. And I'm sure you have some. Jim. Well, what, part of what we're looking at is when a law is passed, it doesn't mean anything unless there's a penalty attached to it. We could say it's against the law of speed. Police can pull the job and say, here's your ticket for speeding. Have a good day. You don't have to pay it. No fines, no problems. You just broke the law, right? There's always a penalty in the law. When Moses wrote the law, there was a penalty. Absolutely, yeah. There was a penalty for breaking the law. Yes. And when it said we are free from the law, we are free from the penalty that was attached to that law. And we're also free to eat pork. Yeah. (laughs) The law just doesn't apply to the church. Isn't that great? Andy. So, I think one of the great values of the Law of Moses and the Old Testament law is that it's a, it's a picture that we can understand of God's righteousness and His justice. Because without recognition of that law and that it applies to all, there's no need for a Savior. There, yeah, right. There's, there's no need. If, if you're not sick, you don't need a cure. Because the law is really good at condemning. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's a tutor to lead us to Christ. Mm-hmm. And once you're in Christ, you're no longer under a tutor. Praise God. Love baking even if it doesn't love you. Yeah. <laughs> True. I do. <laughs> Steve. And love God with all your heart, mind, might, strength, and love your fellow man as yourself. Yes. And so that's the two great commandments. And so um, uh, loving your fellow man, fellow woman, loving everybody is fulfilling the law. Yes, it is. It's, that's how the law is established among us, isn't it? By our love. We will be known by our love, in fact, as Christ's disciples. Not by how good we are at keeping laws. Think about that as you go about this life of sanctification that's set before you. A quick note before I close in prayer. I I wanted to just clarify something. Last week during the sermon, I said a phrase that was wrong a couple of times. I got all your attention now. It's not as exciting as you think it is. Uh, A couple of times I referred to 
differences in Greek manuscripts down through the ages um, being like a, a pronoun replacing a common noun. So instead of saying Jesus Christ, a copyist maybe said he instead of Jesus Christ. And that creates a variant. And that's true. That's, that's correct. That's not the incorrect part. But a couple of times, because this wasn't in my notes and I was speaking off the top of my head, which is always dangerous, but that's what makes preaching kind of fun. Uh, I, I said something like a punctuation difference, like a comma instead of a period. Well, if I would have stopped for a moment and thought, the Greek doesn't have punctuation. In fact, the Greek doesn't even have spaces between words. So um, I know that. I had a friend who listened to it and said, hey, did you know you said that? And I said, no. I, that whoop, went right over my head. That's what, I shouldn't have preached so long. That's the problem with hour-long sermons is, you know, you start saying stuff you shouldn't say. But uh, I just wanted to clarify that just in case that bothered any of you. Uh, that I know that the Greek does have punctuation. And uh, I was using that as an illustration to the, how minimal the variants are from copy to copy. Uh, though punctuation isn't something that exists in those copies, okay? Especially the minuscules. Yes. Just yes. one solid letter after letter after letter from top to bottom. Yes. Yeah, and the minuscules, uh, it's all lowercase, so not even uppercase. And then the majuscules, all uppercase. Yeah, pretty interesting. Thank you, Jeremy. I'll be well, I saw that look on your face. I thought, this has been bugging Mark all week. So. Well, I do. I try really, really hard for you guys. I hope you know this. I hope, I hope it comes across. I try really, really hard to do everything as best as I can. When you guys come here, when the, the sheep of this church come here to get fed on Sundays, I don't want to just give you oatmeal. I want to give you a nice meal. And if I gave you a well-done steak instead of medium rare, I want to apologize for that, okay? Uh -huh. <laughs> now, I know it's still steak, but it wasn't the way you wanted it. I shouldn't take that metaphor too far. So. Okay, Jim, go ahead, and then we'll need to... I'll help you a little bit, because there is a reference to Johnson, too. Okay, thank you, thank you. That's what I should have said. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have to love. God, motivate us by love today and sanctify us. Make us more and more like our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.